welcome all. I believe this is the final session on the, the showroom today. Uh, I'm Professor Alastair Milne. Uh, I'm from Loughborough University. Um, and I'm one of the few kind of business school academics who pays close attention to the world of payments. So I've been writing papers about uh, you folks um, since the Crookshank Review back 20-odd uh, 20, 20 years ago. Um, and things have changed a lot in that time. Um, I, mean, I can remember being involved in faster payments, which is our topic today. Back in 2005, I was involved with discussions with the, uh, the, the OFR, who was the, the regulator who pushed that uh, at that time. And I think, well, we're going to learn, I think, a lot about what's happening in, in faster payments, but uh, the trajectory for the future. That's our, our aim in this session. And we particularly want to focus on the enabling role of data uh, and of standards and the, and the communication of data. And I, I, couldn't, I don't think I could have two better people to support me in this discussion. I'll introduce, I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, also, as, a, as someone who teaches MBA students and so on, I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be a few opinions from the floor as well. So uh, Kate, one of the organizers here, is going to help with uh, a roving microphone. And I'm going to keep a beady eye out. If I can see anybody who's got an opinion, you can put something in on part of this session, that will be very welcome. Um, <coughs> so introductions, rather than me do a, a boring introduction, David, why don't you sure. tell, tell us who you are? Um, hi, I'm David Heron, the Head of Standards at Pay.UK. Um, Pay.UK is the central retail payments operator, um, and we're also a standards and rule setter for UK retail payments, working very closely with the Bank of England as operator of CHAPS and RTGS. Uh, in my role, uh, we oversee uh, technical messaging standards for BACs, faster payments, confirmation of pay, current account switching, all of the good sort of uh, products and services you're aware, you're aware of right now. And we also are building the ISO 2022 standard for the UK retail payments for the new payment architecture, the NPA. That's great. Simon? I'm Simon Lyons. I spent two years at OBIE and I worked with Mel in the audience there to help the M uh, HMRC launch open banking. I then worked with Pay UK on a standard to deliver SME banking and bulk payments to small businesses. And that view of the industry gave me a really unique view. And I'm very happy now to work at OB Connect, who is a full service open banking provider. The really key of that is, is that I'm 25 years in, in transactions and banking. So I never talked about it. I did it. So I hope that some real world experience that comes out of my mouth, not theories. Okay, so we've got a, a lot of expertise. That's fantastic. Um, I think we're, we agree that data is critical to payments and, and data standards. But there may be a few sceptics, you know, that may, people may be thinking, no, we just want to get on with the practicalities. I wonder if you could, um, maybe starting with you, David, maybe give one or two examples of where this enabling role of data and standards, where it can make a big difference. Yeah, sure. So just as a bit of context, we're not talking about standards. I'm talking about two, two specific aspects. Firstly, you know, we're talking about standardizing data. Why is that important? Well, we've all been to enough conferences where we hear that data exchange is absolutely fundamental to enable end user outcomes. Well, specifically, standards do two things. Firstly, they define the structure and format of a message. So if you think very simply about an Excel spreadsheet where you might have a, a list of dates, if you send that to somebody else, I might send that to Simon, but Simon might have that formatted in a totally different way. So we agree the structure and format 
that data should be sent. And then secondly, we define, and probably more importantly, the specific definition. So for example, if you have a field that might be like length of customer relationship, one organization might define that as, well, my customers had a mortgage for 30 odd years, but another organization might say, that doesn't matter, I care about how long you've had a current account for, and that might be two years. So we define the structure and format of, of data, and we define its specific definition. And in terms of end outcomes, um, well, of course, through backs and faster payments, we've been very much focused in the past around clearing and settlement. But as we move to the new payments architecture, this is about an improved quality and quantity of data that can be delivered. So outcomes that benefit not just clearing and settlement, but actually businesses, personal customers. So things like uh, fraud, uh, helping with fraud, so early identification of suspect payments using standardised data, helping out with accounts reconciliation for corporates and businesses that we know spend hours and costly amount of time trying to reconcile. There are lots of kind of outcomes that industry could benefit from, and those are just the kind of the industry-wide things. Then we think about things that might be commercial or innovative ideas, like um, improving customer, uh, improve, excuse me, improving clarity on customer bank statements. So, for example, you make a payment on your bank account, but actually, when you get your statement through, it's either a reference number or it might be a group company. So you have no idea. So, helping cognitively challenge people might be those examples of kind of commercially innovative ideas for outcomes. So, both industry-wide, but also trying to uh, galvanise the market to adopt enriched data. So, David, when I'm interpreting that, it's a bit like grammar. Yeah, we've all come across those pedants who complain about the fact that you, know, you shouldn't start a sentence with but. Uh, that's not what standards, it's not about pedantry, it's about making sure systems and processes in different firms or different parts of the firm actually communicate with each other. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and fundamentally, in a lot of the conversations we're, we're privy to and we're proud to be part of, either here or elsewhere as well through bilaterals, it always tends to be about the problem, the problem of data exchange, rather than people saying, what would I do if I actually had the data? It could be prioritisation of payments. It could be reconciliation of accounts. So what we're keen to do is, is unpick that problem, solve it for industry, and then we can kind of get on to talk about what we would actually do with the data. Right. Simon, an example of where data... Data exchange. So I, I take David's words, which are, what do you do with the data? And I'm very much more in the real world as today. We've got to look at the future, but today we've got a problem, which is the biggest difficulty in high-volume banking is the suspense account. We have thousands and thousands of payments every day that don't get to the right place because customers use these, and they type in the wrong information. So we've got two great examples. HMRC, 14 billion quid, 4.5 million payments. How many went wrong because of the wrong reference? None. Now then, that's a great use case example, we've got one more. The reason for that is because it was machine to machine. Yeah. You went to a portal yeah. where your data was pre-populated, defined by a standard, and all you did was authenticate the payment. You didn't type in sort code, you didn't type in account number, you didn't type in reference. It's so powerful, but yet so simple. It's always the simple problems that have the biggest impact. We've got Paypoint, who we work with, I'm sorry I'm biased, just distributed a couple of hundred thousand payments for the energy grant scheme. We validated the person's bank account details before we sent the payments. This sounds really simple, doesn't it? It's impossible. But we can only do it now, and we can do it because of one thing. I'm biased towards open banking, so I apologize. But it's given us a great example in the market. APIs allow us to begin the banking journey from a different point other than the bank. And that simple statement defines the way that we can get the value from defining standards. Because if we use these, they fail. I think the API evolution, we've got Swift to our right over there that deal with 
you know, massive wholesale clients and the, the values are totally different, it's changed. Now we can, instead of dealing with the corporate, we can deal with the customers of the corporate. And we can only do that by one thing, start the banking where you want. And that's driven by APIs. That will be my example, so. Okay, that's fantastic. So it's no longer just the bank, it's the bank, it's the, it's the small business customers, it's HMRC, it's many others, and their systems can talk to each other, and then that, that, that rules out a whole host of problems. It's been said, and it's a boring, uh, I'm sorry to say it again, the bank performance is all about, if we look at cards, and there's plenty of people with cards in the room, what's card success rate, 99 point something? It doesn't matter what open banking or API based are at the moment, so they're nowhere near that. We have to get good, solid endpoints, and what that does is then the market drives it. We can't have British Gas or Ovo or BCA Auctions or anybody having you know, high failure rates. They've got to have a high-performing solution. That's market adoption. So I don't know whether anyone in the audience has got examples of pain points where these breakdowns of data exchange really need addressing. Is there any particular, keep my eye open, but is there any particular problems you'd like these guys and their expertise to, could, help, could help you solve? I'm not sure we're getting any takers uh, immediately. Uh, uh, look, we'll move on. Um, so, Simon, I'm, you know, we've been talking a lot before the session, and I, I kind of a debate I felt we were having was, if I'm an economist by background, so supply versus demand. So we, we know fintech is changing things, but to make that work, is that the supply side about developing the API, APIs in the right way, investing in the technology? Or, or is it a demand question? Is it about working with the users and getting their uptake? How would, what would you think about that? So I think the demand exists. What, what we do in banking, which is quite unique for every industry, is we accept legacy problems. We accept getting bank statements and printing them off. We accept using a plastic card. If we look at the travel industry, they've revolutionized cards. The way they exchange data from the global distribution system, Sabre, incredible. We've got proof sitting in the room at the moment that industry demands this. The biggest job we've got is to make them informed about it and let them know. Because if you went to any large corporate insurance company, wealth manager and said, hey, we can, uh, we can make your transactions more accurate. We don't need to say how. We don't need to define the structure of the data. We have market ready problems there ready to go. I think a perfect example of this is, is I'm sure you're a wealthy man. Alex, where you haven't. And you've got, you've got an ice. I wish. Yeah. When you topped it up, you probably used a debit card. The reason you used it is because you can get accurate capture of data at the point of sale. They don't want to trust you to push your payment. The reason why direct debit became so relevant, yes, you control your customer, but we know who paid. And knowing who paid me is a driver for a great deal of the demand for data. It's a massive demand for the exchange of data to your point before. The only reason people are in business is to get paid. There are very, very few philanthropic PLCs as far as I know. If we can look at what those businesses have of problems, which is sit in front of them and say, hey, you know what, what's going wrong? What can we do? And that's the start point for me, if we get it. If we give simple mm. solutions first of all, I think my final comment would be, the most fatal mistake we make in the banking industry is trying to define the end game. We should iterate. We should do little, okay, small yeah. solutions and move on. Yeah. But there's, I'm hearing a lot there around um, data accompanying the payment, which must be one of the biggest changes I've seen over yes. two decades of following this industry. And, you know, Yet I still see the 14-character limitation on some, some of these everyday payments. 18. Um, but is it 18? It's yep. 18, yeah. Okay, almost right. <laughs> um, it, it's still very tight. Um, and um, So the technology will, is, is, gives us solutions now to get around that kind yeah, of constraint. So we've just got to roll out those use cases. If you take a really simple principle, 
data in a payment means mass change to payment schemes. Yeah. Data alongside a payment, which is intrinsically linked by a token. Yeah. Ah, yes. So why not? You've got two APIs, one's data, one's payment. Yep. Link them yep. both with a token. Cards do it. Yeah, yeah. They do it brilliantly. And if you're thinking about it now, we've got Mel sitting there. Tax references go over 18 characters if you're in arrears, I think, X numbers. So we've already got the limitation of the payment field, as you correctly point out. I mean, historically, we think of, of payments as infrastructure. Yes. But actually, that's, a, that's not the right way well, to think about it. The, the old audience was the banks. The new audience is corporates, in my opinion. Okay, very good. Um, so, David, I'm, I'm, but I'm, you know, I do work not just on payments, also securities clearing and settlement, other aspects of um, capital market, money markets. Um, many of these issues are sector-wide. They're across financial services. Um, they're, they're not, they're not scheme-specific, and even in terms of use the payments jargon. If we think bigger picture, which could be faster payments, the new payments architecture, cross-border, how would you summarise the key issues? I think there's probably two or three things. The first is harmonisation. There is some good work going on in, in, in the standards world um, that's been run internationally. Um, ISO have been part of that around kind of how do you ensure that the standard kind of aligns at a global level uh, and then that can be kind of rolled out um, by jurisdiction. But the key blocking point within that is actually how you apply that, so the rules around that, and that is where the sticking points tend to come. So, so for example, a certain type of data attribute, data field, um, might be mandatory in one country, but not in another. Then how does that impact, to your point, cross-border payments? Where does that break down? So if I'm a customer in the UK but want to send money to another part of the world, I have to know what I need to include beforehand. So it breaks down at the rules piece. The other, the other facet that I think is interesting as well is economies of scale. I think historically you just touched upon a great, a great, speaking to banks. Um, I, I think, sorry, because we operate as an organization with backs, faster payments, we've opted, and to your point, it's been an infrastructure conversation. Actually, we need to be speaking to people who, who see that across that, that gamut, right? So it's the people who might work in trade capture, it's the people who might work in regulatory reporting, internal MI, anywhere where you've kind of got data and you've got trouble with manipulating it and having to manually oversee it, back to your only point about the fingers. That is where you've got your problem. And so what we need to do is engage with people who can see across different functions and different business lines as well. And again, that's yeah. difficult because banks are historically business line orientated and incentivized. Who has an incentive to say, actually, that might be quite interesting for somebody who works in another product line to standardize their data? You don't if you're being rewarded on a per business line uh, level. So some people who can kind of engage with it across functions and across business lines to get the economies of scale, then gets people investing in this because of course there's a clear element where we constantly face all the time of well I can't do this unless the regulator tells me to do it and it's like well how do we to your earlier point how do we galvanize people to do it unless they can see a commercial benefit and you get the commercial benefit by the economies of scale and saying this is my initial investment to, to, to migrate to ISO 2022 sorry being selfish for the MPA but actually this is the quantitative benefit I will get from it my customers will get this I will get this internally as well so it's speaking to the right people who can kind of see across the gamut and understand the quantitative value they will get from economies of scale of migrating to an improved quality and quantity of data okay that's fantastic now, if, if this was one of my MBA classes, because I'd, I'd know who your own backgrounds and, and who I might pull in and uh, get, get a slightly broader conversation. But I'm, I'm thinking there must be a few, a few of the comments we've had uh, from, from David and, and Simon and maybe even from myself, which have um, 
rung a bell with your your own line of business and your own work, whether it's the service you're providing? So is there is there anyone wanting to anything triggered in your mind? Are, are we inspiring anybody to think things in a slightly different way? Okay, I've you all agree though. <laughs> are you well, all with good. us? If if we are, then I think I'd I'd like us you to be as it were proselytizing when you when you're back in the office tomorrow. Um, as one comment I've, I've always felt as I've followed the payments world, and again I think it's changing, I've always felt that too much of this is not discussed at the C-suite, that it's, it's too much, oh that's operations, those guys are competent, they'll handle it, and yet for many firms there are big strategic issues, yep. and unless we get the kind of conversations which happen at this conference and get them up to that higher level so that uh, the strategic decisions in the industry are being made with a proper understanding of the technologies and the opportunities in mind, then I think we're... Um, I think that is happening gradually. That kind of takes me on to the last topic. We're on to our last three minutes. Um, we, we've seen a lot of, of great change. Um, but I think we're, we're still only part way through this journey of, of technology in, in payments, particularly in faster payments. Um, Fintechs are always knocking on the door. Um, so, Pradhi, um, maybe David, maybe Simon, you might have more on this at the beginning. What do we see as the trajectory going forward? If we're so looking ahead, perhaps four or five years. Getting, getting to the really important subjects of liability. Faster payments are a lot lower liability than things like banks. You don't need a credit sanction. Yeah. Anybody in this room that started a business is using faster payments to pay salaries, to pay because they can't get backs. Yeah. We've got this great scheme that can be used. And what we've got to do is say, where do they use it? Well, the really obvious answer to that is to sit there and say zero, QuickBooks, Sage, the 134 payroll packages and accounting packages out there. We should have consumable standards via API that those guys can deliver. And the reason for that is very easy. Banking was always, since the dawn of banking, delivered by the bank. They told you how to access it. They told you how to use it. Now you can change that mode of operation. So if I'm a small business running from Sage, zero, down with zero, uh, and logged into it to go and do it. I want to start that payment journey from where I've approved the payment, where it's gone. And I think that what we've got to do is look at enablement. To your point before, the audience is different. We've got to get the message out to the people that consume and distribute. Yep. So instead of setting the rules, which is the most important bit, then we've got to look at enablement. And it's a subject I think banks have avoided a great deal because it's not part of their big deal. Get the people who can spread the word and who can enable the adoption to talk to us and talk to us in the right way. And that's maybe the answer to my C-suite question, because it is. if the clients and customers are demanding this, then, yeah, then don't know. the institutions have to pay Banks attention. Banks don't make payments is the most important statement. Yeah. Customers do. Yeah, customers do. David, something to add on the, on the longer? Um, yeah, I, I think the reality is that it's back to my earlier point. It's economies of scale. If you work in a function where data isn't great, I think we all kind of worked in function where the data is great, there must be a way of surfacing that and saying, how do we improve it? And it's not done in isolation because you'll be bet your bottom dollar that another function, another business line will have it. So ISO 2002, which has been rolled out this weekend, just gone um, internationally in Australia and in Canada as well, to be fair, for the sort of the, the mandatory data for clearing and settlement, um, it's gone live. So how do we maximize that cost? Well, the way we do it is we surface it and say, this is the cost that I'm having to uh, pay out for now indirectly for having to manipulate data, be it, as I say, you could be a corporate banker, regulatory MI, internal, anywhere we've had to deal with data, surface it and then get it at the level where those folk who can see across the, the whole gamut can understand how much is being paid out for it and then match that up against the investment of moving to, as I say, 
a, a standard that has improved quality and quantity of data. Okay, we're, we're running out of time. It's right at the end. I guess I can grab the last word. I'm, I'm very comforted. I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm getting a picture of um, the, what's supported faster, faster payments, the APIs, open banking as a, in parallel. That's maybe the picture of where innovation and developments are going to go, go, be going over the next four or five years. So banking is going to be very different. Banking and payments oh. are going to be very different than what we've known. That's good news. Thanks all for paying attention. Uh, hope to see you next year. Thank you. Thank you. To access more podcasts, videos, and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.